TalkZone.com Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet light-hearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. This is Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Unfortunately, the coach... Not with us this week. He's been on vacation, a much-needed vacation for the coach. I'm Justin Weiner, filling in in the big boy chair. We're hoping to be joined by the big dog, Joel Rodwanski, although uh, he's joined via phone because his uh, creditors and also his bookies don't want anyone to know where he's, his exact location is. So we're hoping to find uh, Joel here in the next few minutes. But we have an action-packed show for you. A lot to talk about. A-Rod building number 600. Nolan Ryan striking out another player, uh, this time as a part owner of the Texas Rangers. We'll also talk a little minor league baseball with a special guest that will be coming up at 1020. Uh, one of my good friends and a, a player in the Cleveland Indians organization, their AA affiliate of the Akron Arrows. Uh, Jason Kipnis will join us at 1020 to tell us a little bit about his journey through minor league baseball, through basically playing professional baseball and where he went from basically high school to college to where he is now. But first, we'll start with the baseball talk of the Major League level. Uh, not to say that uh, my good friend Jason Kipnis isn't on the Major League level, but uh, Alex Rodriguez belting number 600 last night, his 600th home run, and it was exactly three years after he hit, three years to the day after he hit number 500. A little bit of symmetry there. Uh, a milestone home run. And a very controversial home run, in my opinion, because of the steroid era. And that's basically the talk that I want to get into today, is that do we really want to consider A-Rod one of the top players ever to play the game? Do we want to consider Barry Bonds one of the best players to ever play the game? Things like that. 888-463-6748. 888-GO-FORT if you'd like to chime in on our listener line. Again, I'm Justin Weiner, hoping to be joined by the big dog, Joel Rodwanski, here in the next few minutes. A-Rod hits number 600th as the Yankee, or as number 600 as the Yankees beat the Blue Jays. Sean Markham going down in history as the man who gave that home run up. An amazing feeling for A-Rod, obviously. He joins a very exclusive, exclusive club that includes Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., Sammy Sosa, and he was also the youngest player to do it at age 36. The next youngest, Ruth, at age 36, 196 days in 1931, although he did it in 183 fewer games. So I should say A-Rod was 35 years old, um, and Ruth was 36. But the point of the matter is, we're in an era with steroids. So do we give A-Rod full credit, considering he has admitted to taking steroids, or do we put a little asterisk by the 600th home run? And I find it very funny yesterday that Barry Bonds ended up posting on his website, BarryBonds.com, we'd like to congratulate Alex Rodriguez on hitting his 600th home run. Well, uh, I find that a little, bit of, a little bit ironic there because the man who's been associated the most, the man who is the face of steroids in this era, is a guy that, well, really, he's the, he, he's the problem. 
He was the main guy. If you if you read back into the testimony, Barry Bonds basically said in 1998 when he didn't get any credit for hitting his home runs, when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, both who were juicing, although Sosa has never admitted it, both were juicing, he, he said, you know what, I didn't get any credit, so I'm going to start taking these steroids. Well, now A-Rod comes out and admits it. Now he has 600 home runs. So do we put an asterisk by it? Do we say, you know what, it wasn't nearly as good? I don't know. My 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 personal opinion is that, you know what, I say Alex Rodriguez, still one of the greatest players to ever play the game. I don't think we discredit him at all for what he has done in his career. 600 home runs, it doesn't matter if you're on steroids or not. 600 home runs is still a pretty daunting task. Sure, the steroids give you the extra boost, the extra power, the extra umph behind the bat. And frankly, I just I don't see it. I don't see anything where we could I, I let me let me rephrase it this way. I don't think that we can say to Alex Rodriguez that he is less of a ball player because he hit 600 home runs and because he took steroids. I think he's a fantastic ball player and hitting 600 is a huge milestone. The big the big question is when we get towards the Hall of Fame voting because he's certainly going to be up for the Hall of Fame. Do we put an asterisk by this 600th home run? Do we question whether or not he would have gotten to 600 or not? In my opinion, yes, we do. Because the way that steroids work, it doesn't make you hit a ball better. It makes you hit a ball farther. It makes you stronger so that you can you can hit that 500-foot home run or whatever it is. Get that extra umph behind the ball. A-Rod did not take steroids so that he would get a better eye at the plate. He took steroids... Because he wanted to basically get that extra umph, get to that next plateau, and because everyone else basically in the game was doing it. But the issue is, how important and how significant is this 600th home run? I was watching last night on a few channels, a few TV channels, a few sports channels, ESPN, Comcast Sportsnet, and a lot of the analysts said they feel it's just another home run. And I want to know what you feel, 888-463-6748, 888-GO-FOR-IT. Do you feel that this is just another home run for Alex Rodriguez, number 600? Or is it, is it significant? Sammy Sosa has 609. Ken Griffey Jr., 630. Willie Mays, 660. Babe Ruth, 714. Hank Aaron, 755. And then the juicer, Barry Bonds, at 762. Of that list, you know Hank Aaron wasn't on steroids. You know Willie Mays and Babe Ruth weren't on steroids. You, you can pretty much assume that Ken Griffey Jr. wasn't on steroids because his body never ballooned. When he came into the league, he was about the same size as he was when he exited the league. And he just had a sweet swing. He did it natural. Sammy Sosa, on the other hand, I don't think there's anyone out there that would say that Sammy Sosa did it all natural. But you get into the 600 club with Alex Alex Rodriguez three years to the day after he hits number 500. Yeah, it took him a little longer. He's still the youngest guy to join the club. But would he have joined this without the use of steroids? He was a solid player. When he came in with the Mariners, he was a very solid player. But the reaction, in my opinion, to this home run should be, you know what, it's just another home run. Because in this era, we don't know who was on steroids and who was not on steroids. So when you get to the 600 or when you get to 500, if it's a guy that you question, it's just another home run. 
when Millie, Willie Mays hit number 600, when Babe Ruth hit number 600, when Hank Aaron passed number 600 and then passed Babe Ruth and Willie Mays, and that, that was huge. That was a big moment because you knew there was nothing behind it. You knew there was all-natural power, all-natural baseball ability behind it. And again, I'm not discrediting Alex Rodriguez because his baseball ability is not being questioned here. It's the fact of the matter that he took steroids and that affected his play. That that made him hit more home runs. Because, frankly, you get stronger. When you get stronger and you make contact with the ball, it's going to go farther. Again, I'm Justin Weiner, hosting the show today, two guys in a mic until 11 o'clock, talking Alex Rodriguez and his 600th home run, whether or not we should consider it a significant milestone or whether or not it's just yet another home run in a, in a very illustrious career of a great player of this game. 888-463-6748 if you'd like to talk about it, and that's 888-GO-FOR-IT. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by a former high school, uh, Illinois high school all-state player, a Glenbrook North High School graduate, Jason Kipnis. Uh, he will join us at 1020 to talk a little bit about his career in the minor leagues. We'll also get to the Albert Hainsworth discussion, Nolan Ryan striking out Mark Cuban in accepting the bid or, or purchasing the Rangers, the bankrupt and defunct Rangers. But again, we're talking about Alex Rodriguez now. And I just got word from our producer, David Olson, that uh, the big dog trying to call in later, unfortunately, is probably being chased by creditors and his bookies. The stock response when I got a hold of him was, you won't believe what happened to me this morning. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, we'll just leave it there. He's like, I'll try to call later. So. He, you know what? He, it's shark week, so he was probably trying to battle some shark or, or trying to get tackled by some big, gigantic NFL lineman. That's a good theory. It's, it's, it's a, a good very theory. good theory. But the big dog, not necessarily, you know, I don't, I don't want to call him the smartest man in the world, but he certainly likes to uh, to challenge assumptions of other people and he likes to challenge normal i guess the norms of society in that he once said on this show that he wanted to be tackled by an nfl linebacker i don't i can't find a reason why i would want to be tackled by a guy like brian erlacher maybe a guy like dick butkus in his time I'm actually naming all Bears right now, but you go down the list of great linebackers of all time. Who would you want to get hit by? That's just, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, the big dog hopefully joining in later on the show. Uh, we would love to hear his take, especially on the Albert Hainsworth, because uh, the big dog, the comic relief of this show, and Albert Hainsworth, the comic relief of the NFL training camp situation. But back to the discussion on A-Rod. Bonds puts out a message on his website welcoming A-Rod to the 600 Club. Says he hopes Rodriguez stays healthy and focused, telling A-Rod, you only have 163 to go. Well, I, again, I, I have a big problem with this. I do. Because you have the face, the Mr. Asterisk, Barry Bonds, congratulating. I understand he's congratulating him because it's probably the right thing to do. But you have him sitting there telling Alex Rodriguez, you only have 163 more to go. You only, you know, you're doing this. I hope you break my record. But at the same time, we'll be asking ourselves the same thing we asked with Barry Bonds. Could he have done it without the use of steroids? And I don't think he could. I think you look back, and before 1998, before Barry Bonds started taking steroids, he was a sure thing Hall of Famer. Sure thing. I, I don't think anyone would disagree with me in that analysis. 
Barry Bonds was a solid five-tool player. He hit the home runs. He fielded well. He hit for average. But for some reason, the ego got the best of him, and he wanted to hit more home runs. So he goes out and does that. Hits 73 in one season. That's astronomical. Nowadays, in this specifically this year and last year, you struggle to find guys that hit 40 home runs, which shows you how much steroids can affect the game, how much they can affect a player. Brady Anderson went from 20 home runs in a season to 50. It's it, it's the the age old question is can steroids or will steroids affect these the perception on these players? And I think they will. Alex Rodriguez hits number 600. The big question is is there an asterisk by that? Yes, I believe there is. It took him a while. And we can finally go on with our lives because Alex Rodriguez has finally hit his 600th home run and we don't have to continually discuss, is he ever going to hit 600? Well, yeah, he's going to hit 600. It's inevitable. The guy's not going to go the rest of his career without hitting 600 home runs. I just, I don't know. I don't think this is any different than his 580th, his 320th, whatever it was. Because of his admission of steroids. And more power to him for admitting it. Mark McGuire admitted it. I understand, you know, the, the fact that they admitted it, they said they were sorry, they said it was part of the game, I, I give him that. But I'm not up for saying, okay, he's definitely the greatest home run hitter of all time if he gets to that mark, if he eclipses Barry Bonds. I'm a very old-fashioned baseball guy. I understand I'm young, but I'm an old-fashioned baseball guy. I like the way... That baseball should be played. It should be played hard nose, small ball, not the the tremendous home run hitters. I don't like that. That's I mean that that's just not me. That's not the way I played. I didn't play to cheat, and I played all the way through college. But with these guys cheating, it just it kind of takes away from the aura of the game. When a Rod gets to number seven hundred, 700, which I believe he will, I don't think there's. Anything that's going to stop him. He's only 35 years old. He has at least five more years if he can stay healthy. You have to think, in three years, he went from 500 to 600. So in five years, you assume he's going to go from 600 to 700, unless he starts to wear out. And in some cases, you see steroids affecting players negatively in terms of their health. Look at a guy like Eric Gagne. Never admitted taking steroids. But it's pretty. It's a pretty large assumption that Eric Gagne, the closer for the Los Angeles Dodgers, once took steroids. The guy threw 98 in one season, was devastating, had 50-plus saves in a couple seasons back in the early 2000s. And then all of a sudden he falls off the map once steroids start to come to light. So there's definitely the chance of injury. Will he get 700? Like I said, yes. I believe he will get to number 700. How long it will take, I don't know. I would assume, considering that he went from 500 to 300 in three years, that it'll probably take about that much time. Although Barry Bonds, again, ballooned his statistics towards the end of his career. Went from 600 to 700 faster than anyone has. Again, with the addition of steroids and with the help of steroids. So Alex Rodriguez hits number 600. Congratulate, congratulations to him. But frankly... Not a big deal for me. I'm not really not really happy with it. I, I don't think 
You know, it's, it's a big milestone for him in his career. It's a big milestone for the Yankees, especially since the Yankees have gone through some pretty tough times lately. Bob Shepard, George Steinbrenner, both passing away. That's that's pretty big in terms of their in terms of their franchise. And so I will say this: A. Rod getting number six hundred for the Yankees, it's great. But he joins a exclusive club of which only four of the players, four of the four of the seven players in the six hundred, did not take steroids. That doesn't tell you something about the way things have gone here in baseball. I don't know what has. It is just it, it has it has changed the game of baseball, and fortunately, it's trending towards it not being in baseball anymore, which is good, because you're not going to see 600 home runs anymore. A guy like Jim Tomey has a chance to get there, but he did it naturally. But I like the way baseball is going now, and I like the way that people are reacting to Alex Rodriguez. They're congratulating him. They think it's a great feat. But at the same time, they think, you know what, it's another home run for a guy that took steroids that probably wouldn't have gotten to 600 this quickly had he not taken steroids. And you look back at his career in the early 2000s, you wonder how many of those home runs would be flyouts to the warning track. So, again, congratulations to Alex Rodriguez hitting number 600, but frankly, it's another home run to me. 888-463-6748. We're going to take a break here in the next few minutes, and then we're going to go to Jason Kipnis, who will be calling in from the Akron, Ohio area, a double-A affiliate of the Cleveland Indians, currently a second baseman, transferred from the outfield, transitioned, I should say, from the outfield to become a second baseman, and uh, he will join us after this break. You're listening to Two Guys and a Mike on TalkZone.com. Back here on Two Guys and a Mic, your daily break from the workplace, 10 to 11. Every weekday, I'm Justin Weiner, filling in for the coach, the big dog, Joel Rodwanski, being chased by creditors and his bookies and everyone else in between, probably trying to fight sharks, as we said earlier in the show, given it's Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. Coming up shortly, we'll uh, have a discussion with a local baseball star, a guy that uh, people from... uh, 
around the Central Suburban League Conference probably know well. People from around the area probably know him very well. Jason Kipnis, who is a professional second baseman, professional baseball player, second baseman for the Akron Arrows, the AA affiliate of the Cleveland Indians, will join us here to talk a little bit about his career and uh, one of my good friends. So I figured we might as well give him a little bit of pub, get him a little uh, time to talk about what he has done and his rise to basically stardom because it went from uh, went from very pretty much nothing to stardom in a split second, snap of the finger. Other things we'll talk about on the show today, we have to talk about Albert Hainsworth, and we'll get to that after we have the discussion with Jason, because Albert Hainsworth sits out for another day in Washington Redskins camp, refuses, and frankly unable to finish his conditioning test. And I have, I, I, I could say I'm burning on that subject, if, if you will, because I just don't see it. A guy that's being paid that much money not being able to run that that test, not being in good enough condition to run that test. We'll talk about that later. We'll also talk about Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan uh, winning a bid to buy the Texas Rangers for a absurd amount of money. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, came in to try to offer roughly $600 million to buy the Rangers. But uh, again, Nolan Ryan struck out another player, this time in the legal field. So Nolan Ryan keeping with his tradition of baffling hitters or baffling his opposition. But Albert Hansworth, we'll talk about him. We'll also talk a little bit about Chicago baseball. Edwin Jackson getting his uh, first start in a White Sox uniform. Has an outstanding debut. But uh, before we get to any of that, before we get to any of that, again, 888-463-6748 to call in. 888-GO-FOR-IT on our listener line. But before we get to that, we'd like to bring in a Central Suburban League first-team selection, a Central Suburban League Player of the Year, a Pac-10 Player of the Year. I mean, the list could go on and on. An All-American, we could, we really could do so many, go through this in so many awards. But... I really don't have the time. Jason Kittness joins us on the phone. Jason, how are you today? I'm doing all right. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Jason Kittness, as I've been saying, is a second baseman for the Cleveland Indian system, double-A affiliate, and he's in the town of Akron, home to a certain LeBron James, but of course, Jason, the, the star of Akron at the moment. And uh, <laughs> Jason, you know what? I gotta ask: Are you missing the Buff Joes? Are you missing the Lou Malnati's Pizza, the Chicago Land food? Given that you've been in Akron for such a long time, and Kinston, North Carolina, as well. Oh man, every day. That's why when my if my dad ever comes out to visit, I have him bring like a pan of Buff Joes each time. <laughs> Something you gotta love that. You have to love that. Well, Jason, we'll give you a little timeline for all of our listeners of basically what's going on in your career. You, you start out at Glenbrook North, and you weren't really heavily recruited out of high school. Uh, you go to Kentucky, things didn't really pan out there, and then you go to Arizona State, you're the Pac-10 Player of the Year, the Pac-10 Newcomer of the Year, you were drafted by the Padres in the fourth round of the 2008 Amateur Draft, and then drafted by the Indians in 2009. I mean, what's the ride been like? Have you been able to kind of sit down and, and and realize that this is really happening? Kind of. I mean, there's a lot of points where I haven't yet, but uh, it's been, I mean, it's been a little bit of a bumpy road at times, and you know what, I'm grateful for that because it's made me who I am today. But I'm sure there's a lot of players who have taken a little easier traveled road or 
kind of been a little bit more serious about baseball their whole life, but baseball has just kind of been something I've always done and it's kind of taken to the next level each time it's presented itself. So it's been a crazy ride, but I'm ecstatic about it and I'm hoping it continues. Well, before we get into the discussion of this season and what has happened uh, so far in your career um, with the Indians, you have to at some point sit back and think, you know what, I'm actually living a dream. I, I could be taking out garbage or, or doing something like this, but I'm living a dream. I'm playing baseball every day. How is that, and how do you deal with that, just thinking about, wow, and keeping yourself grounded to think about, wow, I'm actually playing baseball for a living? <laughs> I have. I have sometimes thought that, and it's crazy. It's uh, Not too many people, I mean, get to experience what I'm experiencing right now, and it's, it's an honor to be playing the game right now, and I'm extremely grateful every day for it. I mean, it's tough. There is, there's a lot of stress that goes into this game, though. It's a game of failure and a lot of physical and mental stress that comes with it. But you know what? It's something you love to do, and it's something you have fun doing. So I'm sure once the season ends, I'll be able to step back and probably reflect a little bit more on what's actually going on. It's a little hard right now with the season going on where you just got to play every day. But it's a long process, but it's something I enjoy, and I'm very happy to be doing it. Well, Jason, I'm actually, for our, our viewers uh, on our web stream, I'm actually, in honor of you, wearing an Arizona State baseball shirt. Um, but I have to be honest, I'm wearing a White Sox hat because I can't take my loyalties to the Cleveland Indians. Uh, <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to stay loyal to my White Sox. But getting back to the discussion here, it's pretty fun as, as one of your friends and as a, as a guy that played with you to watch you develop through this process and – I guess the, my, my next question is, when you're sitting there as a senior at Glenbrook North High School or as a redshirt sophomore at Arizona State or, or as a freshman at Kentucky, anywhere in that process, anywhere in that timeline, did you think I could be playing professional baseball or did you think this could be where I am today? No. <laughs> and I can honestly say that, no. I'm, I was this close to playing, shoot, soccer, football out of high school. I was this close to thinking about hanging it up after a little bumpy road at Kentucky. I mean, it's just something that has kind of needed a lot of pieces to fall into place for me. And some of them have, and it's kind of just me putting my head down and playing and being very fortunate that things have gone my way so far. And trying to take it to the next step is going to be a tough one, but it's something that I'm willing to do and put the work in for. Now, Jason, you, you, you get the chance to play in the minor leagues this year. You, you start out with the Kinston Indians down in Kinston, North Carolina, and then about halfway through the season, you're moved up to Double A with the Akron Arrows. Um, we have a, a, a listener that, or I should say, a, a chat member that is at, has asked the question: Have you noticed a change in the pitching levels among being, you know, from high school to the college, and then from college to short season A, and then from short season A to A, and then Double A? Have you noticed the pitching change? And then when you look at major league pitchers, do you say, you know what, I can hit that, or I notice a weakness in the guy? You do, you do. You start to notice a bunch of changes. Um, the, the higher you go in terms of levels, whether you go from high to double A, it's, the pitchers still have a little bit better stuff. It won't be too drastic of a change, but their out pitches, they start to have more out pitches, that swing and miss pitches, and they make a lot less mistakes up in the zone. So, and then likewise for hitters, so as you go up the chain, it's, uh, hitters capitalize on more of those mistakes instead of kind of letting them go by or swinging and missing. So, it's really just the development of their arsenal and kind of, development of their overall game they hold runners on much better they don't miss over the play they'll miss on the corners or down in the dirt and it's just literally the fine line and that's all it is it takes to kind of just funnels its way its way up the ladder for them 
Jason, you have a guy, a good friend, Ike Davis, who's playing for the New York Mets. Has he offered any type of advice as you're going up and you're moving up through the minor leagues and possibly getting to the major leagues? Absolutely. I mean, he's, I mean, you know him. You've got to meet him a little bit. Ike's a clown, and so he, he words it differently. But he's, he's a fun guy, and uh, he's doing great up there. But, I mean, Ike, a bunch of guys have given advice. Something, something you need to listen to because they've been there before. And then they know the mistakes that my life had for me. And their advice might help steer me away from making the same ones. But, I mean, there's a bunch of experienced players like Ike and other guys that I've taken many things away from. And it's mostly on just kind of simplifying the game for myself and kind of maturing my routine and getting it to be where I can be in the best position to succeed and so not instead of adding harder things on me each day. Well, Jason, one of the big challenges for you this season was making the adjustment from outfield to second base. And normally when that happens, normally when you take a guy from a different position, the offense is going to struggle. So far, that hasn't been the case for you. Combined 318 average between single A and double A this season. How have you done with that transition, and how have you adjusted and also been able to keep your batting average and keep your focus on hitting? It's, it has been tough. It's a second base was something that mentally I was not open to at the beginning. Um, I liked the outfield. I wanted to stay in the outfield. I thought I could stay in the outfield, but second base was considered my future from the Indians, and it was something I had to put my mind around. And finally, once I kind of grasped it, I put my head down, got to work on it, and the infield is a lot more about routine and repetition, and it's something that it will come. It won't come overnight. You have to take a lot of ground balls with it. You have to play in a lot of games to finally start getting used to it. But it's something that I've tried not to overlap with offense. I've kind of kept them separate so far, and I'm trying to got one more month. I'm trying to keep it going that way. But I try to keep the offense separate from defense. Work on both, and it's something that you have to keep up with. Otherwise, one of them will get away from you. Well, you've drawn some comparisons to a major leaguer, Dustin Pedroia, a, also a Arizona State Sun Devil. Uh, have you reached out to him at all to talk with him about, you know, being the quote-unquote undersized second baseman, but still excelling at the major league level? You know what? I have actually. He was real good friends with uh, the Arizona State coach Pat Murphy, who coached me, and um, I have. I've texted him before. I've asked him questions, and he's been absolutely terrific in giving me some answers he said don't worry about any size thing don't worry about any of those things um putting your head down and playing hard will get you wherever you need to go and he's like the size doesn't matter now it's speed it's coordination and athleticism that'll stand out for you in your game and he's like you don't have to worry about anything they'll you'll get there a couple questions he's been great he's been great though overall Okay, yeah, that, that's. I, I figured that Dustin Pedroia would be a guy that uh, would certainly help you because of the way that he's been always he's always been considered an undersized second baseman, and from everything that has been written, people are calling you a buck seventy five in the weight department. Although I, <laughs> I, I think that might be a little uh, underestimated. I don't know if that's your driver's license or not. Oh man, you love that number, don't you? It makes you feel better. Yeah, it does make me feel better, a little bit better about myself. Uh, but getting a little bit more to this season, a couple questions before we let you go. Uh, you make the transition from A, from high A to, to double A this season. What was that transition like? And I know you've expressed to me that sometimes it's not necessarily as fun as people think it is playing in the minor leagues because you're moving around. You're never in one place at the same time for a long period of time. And I guess how do you balance and try to keep it fun when this is technically a job? Uh, the minor leagues are tough. I mean, I consider them the nightmare before the dream. The MLB is the dream. But, um, no, there's a lot of stress that goes into it, a lot of long road trips, a lot of, like, 
kind of cheap hotel stays that you're in. You don't really get to see friends or family for a long time or don't stay in connection with them. But, you know, it's part of the gig and it's part of the process that you got to put in the service time to work your way up the ladder. And baseball players have made the commitment and they're willing to do that. So I think they've all accepted it and they find ways to cope with it. That's why when you're off the field, you try not to even think about baseball or even talk about baseball. You try to try to find ways to kind of get your mind away from the game and just relax when you're not having to be in between the lines. So the guys, the teammates are what keeps you kind of grounded and keep, keeps it fun for you. Well, Jason, we really appreciate the time. Again, uh, people around the area in the Chicagoland area can follow along, Jason, on the Akron Arrows website. That's akronarrows.com. Uh, and last night, a, a pretty impressive game for you. Uh, you were 2 for 4, and the rest of the team was 0 for 24 uh, in, in, a, in a loss. And it's almost like it's a, just another day at the job for you. Uh, or another another day on the job, I should say. So, Jason, we appreciate the time. Uh, go out there, keep hitting, and uh, we will hope that uh, that eventually, maybe next year, maybe the year after, but at some point we'll be watching you, and possibly I'll be rooting against you over at uh, U.S. Cellular Field. <laughs> Anytime, bud. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot, Jason. Jason Kipnis of the Akron Arrows just joined us. A great kid, great baseball player, one of the best baseball players I've ever seen one of the better players that I've been able to play with. And uh, the one thing that I, I chose not to ask him because uh, I, I feel pretty bad about talking about with Brian Schlitter or, or about Brian Schlitter right now, who was a reliever for the Cubs but was recently optioned down to AAA. Because Jason faced uh, Brian Schlitter as well, as, as did I, when he pitched for Maine South High School. And uh, right now, Brian Schlitter, not exactly um, the best pitcher <laughs> if you will, and not having a great time in the major leagues at this point. But again, thank you to Jason Kipnis. A great, great interview. We really appreciate his time. We're going to take another break here on Two Guys in the Mike Talk Zone.com. When we come back, it's time to talk a little bit about Albert Hainsworth and the fact that he cannot finish a conditioning test. That's all I had. Two Guys in the Mike on TalkZone.com. Two guys in a mic, talkzone.com, your local break and your daily or weekday break from the grind at the workplace. Justin Weiner alongside, uh, or I should say along with you for the rest of this hour up until 11 o'clock. 
We just had Jason Kipnis on, one of my good friends, and a great, great local product, a great local baseball player. Hope to see him up with the Cleveland Indians at some point during, well, I'm hoping within the next year, and I think everyone around here would be hoping for the next year. Pat Mish, another guy that went to Glenbrook North High School that has pitched in the major leagues. Scott Sanderson, another guy. So we uh, we can only hope and, and put our uh, all our marbles in one basket and hope that he actually gets to that point so that, well, me personally, I can root against him considering I'm a White Sox fan. And uh, that, that has been a, a constant debate between him and I. So let's get to the discussion, though, of Albert Hainsworth. I teased it a little bit before the break, teased it a little bit at the beginning of the show, and there's a big problem I have with Albert Hainsworth. The man is making an absurd amount of money. And he cannot pass a conditioning test in NFL training camp. According to his status alert on ESPN.com, Hainsworth does not plan to to further attempt his conditioning test or pass his conditioning test until his health significantly improves. improves. The Washington Post actually is reporting that. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, people? The guy, I don't care if he's 350 pounds or 310 or 280 the fact of the matter is, you are an NFL player. You're an NFL defensive tackle. You can't finish a conditioning test? Are you kidding me? 888-463-6748-888. Go for it if you'd like to chime in with this discussion. I have a big problem with Albert Hainsworth not being able to finish a test. Mike Golick of ESPN, of Mike and Mike in the Morning, he finished the test. This just this is absurd. The, he he cannot pass this conditioning test until his health significantly improves. I don't know what you're trying to do here because all the reports I've read say that he has lost 15 to 20 pounds in the off season. So he's down from 350, and that doesn't make any sense. He's down. He's at 350 pounds at the beginning of last season. Okay, so that that's absurd as it is. He's at 350 pounds. Big boy. I understand that. And he loses 20 pounds, so now he's down to 330. He needs to have the desire and the ability to finish this test. It's getting past his actual conditioning level. This is getting towards heart and his drive to finish this test. If he really wanted to, he could finish this test. I've seen people... Struggle in conditioning tests. I played college baseball. I won't say that baseball players are very well conditioned, nor will I call us extremely athletic individuals. The fact that we can hit a baseball with a bat that's traveling at 90 miles per hour, that's pretty impressive. But in terms of our conditioning level, I wouldn't call baseball players very well conditioned. Now, an NFL player, I understand Albert Hainsworth only has to sprint maybe six or seven yards at a time. But if you can't finish a 300-yard conditioning test, it does not make any sense. Correct me if I'm wrong here, and 888-463-6748, correct me if I'm wrong, but he has to finish the test in an average, runs two tests in an average of 60 seconds. 300 yards in an average of 60 seconds. He could run the first one just absolute all-out He could run that, and he could maybe get 54 seconds. And he would then be able 
to basically walk, not walk, but jog at a at, at a pretty good pace the second half. But he still can't do it. For some reason, this guy is on his high horse, and he can't finish this test. It does not make any sense to me. I mean, even as a baseball player, in college baseball, our conditioning test coming into the fall was we had to run the same thing that Albert Hainsworth is running, except we had to run five 60-yard sprints instead of five, or whatever, I believe it's 25-yard sprints. So we had to run five 60-yard sprints. And for the catchers, they had to get under 52 seconds. For everyone else, it had to be under 50. Now, I'm not saying it was easy by any means, because it wasn't. But we were still able to do it. Even the catchers were able to do it. The slowest guy on our team was able to do it. And he was about 240 pounds, and he was a catcher. He's not supposed to be in great condition. He's just supposed to get down there and squat, catch the ball, call the game, and throw runners out at second and third. That's all he's supposed to do. And he finished it. But Albert Hainsworth, who in my opinion is just playing a mind game, he certainly seems to be in good enough condition to finish this test. It's almost as if he's embarrassed that he can't do it. And I would be embarrassed too. I'm an NFL player. I'm making a lot of money as an NFL player. And I can't finish a test. I can't finish a basic conditioning test. You have to be kidding me here, people. You absolutely have to be kidding me here. It is it is absurd. He's calling it a knee issue. I don't think it's a knee issue. I think it's a heart issue. I think the guy doesn't want to do this. I think he wants to go through training camp and not worry about anything and not have to do a conditioning test and just play on Sundays, which I understand. If you're an NFL veteran like a Brett Favre, which we can get to later, but if you're an NFL veteran like Brett Favre or Chris Harris for the Bears, a guy that is who both have expressed that they don't like training camp, they just want to get straight to the games. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them in the slightest bit. I would want to get straight to the games, too, if I was an NFL veteran. You don't need those reps, but it's for team chemistry. It's for team building. That's the reason you go to training camp. And right now, Albert Hainsworth is secluding himself. He is putting himself in his little bubble. And he's basically making a mockery of himself. If Mike Golick, who hasn't played football in 20 years, if he can do this, if he can finish the test, having not practiced at all, I don't understand why Albert Hainsworth can't. I was talking with one of uh, the interns over at WGN Radio where I work, and he said to me, their college test is the same thing. And he said, you know what, it's a struggle for some of the big guys, but they get it done because they have the heart to get it done because their teammates cheer them on and whatnot. I can't imagine any one of Albert Hainsworth's teammates on the Washington Redskins cheering him on at this point in time because, frankly, he's done everything possible to alienate himself. It's sad, really. I mean, Albert Hainsworth, don't get me wrong, a fantastic football player, one of the game-changing players that a offensive coordinator has to plan around. But, frankly, if he can't finish this conditioning test, who's to say that he's going to play during the season? Now, another take on this situation is that he's holding out. He's not going to take this test until the point where the Reds can say, you know what, we actually need this guy, so we'll let him play in camp. We'll let him work in camp, and we'll let him play in the season. 
Well, I disagree with that. I mean, I, I if I'm the Redskins and I'm just going to let this guy run my team, essentially, I'm going to let him determine whether or not he plays. If he doesn't finish this test, I don't care how bad you are. Make a point. Make a statement. Say to this guy and say to professional athletes out there that think they can run the business that they can't do this. I mean, he is making 90 plus million dollars. I'm looking up the actual statistic right now on how much he is making. But he is making just an un, um, unbelievable amount of money. And yet he is not able to finish a conditioning test. He he is on this high horse. He thinks he's better than everyone else. I don't get it. I absolutely don't get it. I still can't believe that he is not going to attempt to pass this test. It says that he's continues to do work on the side, but has now missed his seventh straight day of training camp. He won't move forward until he believes he can go full speed again. Which, let's put it this way, that's going to probably be at least a couple of days, maybe even a week, maybe even till the end of training camp when he is going to try, or if he will try, to say and hold the Washington Redskins hostage by saying, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to do this conditioning test. I'm only going to play on Sundays, or I'm only going to practice. I'm going to do what I want to do. i got a big problem with that. Owners and the coaches need to make a statement in this case. I can't imagine Albert Hainsworth's knee is that bad. The first time he ran it, he failed. In a day and age where all athletes are in condition basically year-round, how can you tell me that you're not in shape on that first day of training camp? When I was playing football, our coach always said, and this again, this is in high school, this is not at a, at a collegiate level, but our coach always said, you need to be ready to go four doubles that first day of camp. You need to be in good enough condition. And that's what this society and this constant training has created is that players need to be ready in that first day of training camp. Training camp used to be players would get ready in training camp. Now, Albert Hainsworth isn't ready for training camp, and he's supposed to be. He's supposed to use training camp as a means to hone in his skills, to get better on the field, to build chemistry with his teammates. And instead, the nine-year defensive tackle out of Tennessee can't finish a conditioning test because he's either too lazy, too arrogant, or maybe he actually is that stupid to think that if he doesn't do this conditioning test and if he holds out, they'll still let me play. And maybe the Washington Redskins are dumb enough to do that maybe Mike Shanahan says you know what I really need this guy I'm going to have him on the sidelines on Sunday I'm going to have him on the field on Sundays but Mike Shanahan is not a guy that can be played not at all his entire career Mike Shanahan has been a very very well respected coach and I can't imagine him telling Albert Hainsworth that he's going to play on Sundays if he doesn't pass this conditioning test 888-463-6748. We're talking about Albert Hainsworth. And we'll get to a little bit of Chicago baseball here in the last 13 minutes of the show. Unless you'd like to talk about Albert Hainsworth. And then again, call us at 888-GO-FOR-IT. That's 888-463-6748. Justin Weiner with you for the remaining 15 minutes. 
Had a pretty good show so far. Talked a little bit about A-Rod and his 600th home run. Talked with Jason Kipnis of the Akron Arrows, double-A affiliate of the Indians. Finished, I'm about done with my rant on Albert Hainsworth because I don't know how much more I can take talking about a guy that is, I don't want to call him a slob. I don't want to call him lazy. You know, I still think, and again, I'm not discrediting his athletic ability, but I am discrediting his heart. I am saying to, to, to players and to fans out there and to anyone that's listening that this guy should be able to finish this test for the sole reason of him having enough heart and desire to finish the test. If you throw up afterwards because you ran your butt off and you ran to a point where you exhausted yourself, you still finish the test. You still pass the test. That's all I got to say. Pass the test, my friend. And you will eliminate this entire discussion about your laziness. You eliminate the entire discussion about your lack of want to. So there's my little rant, my little burning on Albert Hainsworth. It's time to talk a little bit about Chicago baseball. And given that we are in the Chicagoland area, Morton Grove, Illinois, is our studios, we might as well talk some Chicago baseball. The White Sox and the Cubs, basically two opposite teams at this point playing in the same city. The Cubs finally getting a win yesterday. Finally getting a win. Snapped their seven-game skid with a 15-3 win over the Brewers. And they did it in some pretty amazing fashion. A couple home runs. Starlin Castro continues continues to showcase his talent and show why he is going to be the superstar shortstop for the Cubs of the, of the future. He is a stud. An absolute stud. I love watching him play. Starlin Castro is a great, great player, and he has done so much for this team in the last, let's call it, well, since he came up. He has basically proved himself, aside from that first game where he had three errors, he has proved himself to be among one of the best up-and-coming players in this game. He is he is great. He is absolutely great. 20-year-old rookie was a big part of the win yesterday. Four for five, a triple, a double, two runs scored. He was caught stealing, but he's raised his average to 318. In his rookie season, it's 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 pretty impressive. It is really impressive. And the fact that the Cubs can finally get a win to satisfy their fans or at least alleviate some of the burden put on their fans from White Sox fans like myself, I, I, you, you have to be pretty happy for them. They lost seven in a row, including two terrible, historic, historic losses. The 17-2 loss to the Rockies was historic for the Rockies. The most runs they've ever scored in an inning. Or excuse me, the most consecutive hits, 11, that they've ever had in an inning. And most of them came with two outs. All 12 runs came with two outs. That was a debacle. Then a couple games later, you lose 17-1 to to the Brewers. You give up 26 hits, which is a franchise-tying mark. Now, it's funny that the Brewers actually wanted to change one of those hits or one of the errors to a hit to make it 27 so that they could achieve history. But I have to be honest, I was producing that game for WGN Radio, and I was honestly rooting for them to get a hit. I wanted to see 27. I wanted to see history. It, it's unbelievable. And I have to be honest, Cubs fans, this is the team 
you're going to get next season too. And I had this discussion with one of my good friends, Sean Wallace. I said to him, this is the team you're going to get. More or less, this is this is what, what you see is what you get for next season. You have enormous contracts, guys that you won't be able to get rid of. Guys like Aramis Ramirez, Kosuke Fukudome, Carlos Zambrano, Derek Lee, who has already vetoed a trade. I mean, th- these players, Alfonso, did I mention Alfonso Soriano? I believe I did. Aramis, I mean, th- these guys you can't get rid of because of their enormous contracts. So you're going to have to play out the length of their contracts. There is no other option but doing that. You can bring up young guys. Thomas Diamond had a tremendous start in game in game two of the series against the Brewers. Tremendous start. Struck out ten. The only other Cub player to do that since Mark Pryor. I kind of get chills when I say that name, too, because what a waste. There's a guy that might have taken steroids, too. But let's be honest here, folks. This Cubs team is what you see, what you get for next season. There is not going to be much change. You can bring up guys from the minor league system in September, which they probably will. They want to showcase the talent. But you're going to have a new coach. You're going to have a new, hope. well, depending. It could be a new general manager, although Tom Ricketts really hasn't said anything about that. But aside from the coaching staff, the players on the field are pretty much the same. A guy like Andrew Kashner, who I think they made a tremendous mistake on, is a guy that they brought up, made a reliever, was a starter, grooming him to be a starter. And I talked about this on another radio show yesterday, that they really screwed up with Andrew Kashner because he could have been a stud. He could have contended for a starter spot in the 2011 rotation. But at this point, the only way you can make him a starter is to move him back down into the minor leagues. That's the only way to make him a starter. The Cubs right now, season's over. They're 13 and a half out in the Central. Their record, 47 and 61, in danger of only winning 60 games. I mean, they have to play at an, at an average clip, an average, a 500 clip, the rest of the season for what I would consider a halfway decent finish. And that's what you have to do, is finish halfway decent. If you tank it, then you're going to lose some fans, in my opinion. Wrigley Field sells out because of its its aura and because it's historic Wrigley Field, not because of the ball club that's playing on that field. Now, if we go a little farther south, go down 90-94, take the Dan Ryan, get off at 31st Street, and you see the White Sox at U.S. Cellular Field. Now, there's a team that is doing the exact opposite of what the Cubs are doing. White Sox beat Detroit yesterday 4-1, to a very impressive debut for Edwin Jackson. Just came over in the trade with that uh, that sent uh, Daniel Hudson away. And Edwin Jackson comes in, pitches great. One run in seven plus innings. Gave up two hits in the first four innings each. Excuse me, let me, let me put that the other way around. Gave up four hits in the first two innings. Two in each. But he was impressive. And this is what Don Cooper the pitching coach for the White Sox, loves to do. He loves to have projects. And if he can make Edwin Jackson a project, given the fact that you've lost Jake Peavy for the rest of the season and Edwin Jackson being a step up from Daniel Hudson, not to discredit Daniel Hudson at all because I think he's going to be one of the better pitchers in the league in the next few years, but Edwin Jackson pitched very well yesterday. Very, very well. Pitched against his former team. And pitched against a guy, Armando Galarraga, who was one out away from the perfect. 
So I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, this is a legitimate shot for the White Sox right now. It's a legitimate shot for them to make it and get into the playoffs. They're one game up on the Twins right now. Excuse me, one and a half on the Twins right now in the AL Central. They're going to have to play the Twins a couple more times. But if they can close it out, if they can basically put Detroit in the gutter right now, they have one more game against Detroit tonight. If they can beat Detroit and put them nine games back, Detroit's basically done in the division. So it's a one, it's a two-team race. Two-team race between the Twins and the White Sox. Sweaty Freddie G on the mound tonight, 10-4, and four, a 4-7-3 ERA. Gets Matt Scherzer for Detroit. They have a good chance of beating Detroit tonight. And frankly, if they can, if they can beat it, if they can beat Detroit, and they put them nine games down, Detroit's out. You have to, you have to imagine that in their mindset, they're thinking, this game and this season is pretty much over. And that's, that's a pretty, pretty nice and a pretty satisfying feeling for the White Sox if they can just be in a two-game race in the AL Central. That's it for the show today. Two guys in a mic on TalkZone.com. I'm Justin Weiner. A great show for you. Hopefully I'll be back here on the airwaves soon. If I'm not, follow me on Twitter at Justin Weiner. That's W-E-I-N-E-R. And go ahead and check out the blog, WeinersWords.wordpress.com. Thank you to Jason Kipnis for joining the show. Thank you to our tireless producer and engineer, David Olson. This is Justin Weiner saying, have a great day, a great Thursday afternoon in the Chicagoland area. This has been Two Guys in a Mic on TalkZone.com.